Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where I profile agents of growth and transformation in education today. Each guest shares their highs, their lows, their passions, their goals, and the resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. For show notes and links from each episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's meet today's guest. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Alicia Ray. Alicia is the Lead Digital Learning and Media Innovation Facilitator at Surrey County Schools, North Carolina, possibly the most committed reader and reviewer of the education books from Dave Burgess Consulting. Alicia is also the author of a soon-to-be-released book herself, and I'll let her talk about that. Very exciting stuff. Follow Alicia on Twitter at I Love Educating. That's I L U V Educating, and on her blog at AliciaRay.com. Alicia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Well, you've been on my radar for quite some time, Alicia, and this is kind of surreal for me to be finally chatting with you. So can't wait to get into this. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your current context in education? What does that look like for you on a daily basis? Yeah, so I am um, the Lead Digital Learning and Media Innovation Facilitator. Um, lead, not at all meaning that I'm anyone's boss or anything. I was just the pilot position. Um, so what I do is actually get to marry my loves of working with teachers as an instructional coach um, and also working with students as their school librarian. And so when we talk about media, we're talking about, um, of course, digital media, but also print media. So um, I really enjoy my job getting to work with both teachers, co-planning and co-teaching lessons, and also working with students, developing a love of reading, and also um, just digital literacy skills that they really need in today's world. I love that package. And like you say, that that marrying of reading and media, that's a very exciting area. Before we continue, and we will come back to some of that, but first of all, it's story time, Alicia. Why don't you share with us about a low moment or an experience of adversity that you face somewhere in your teaching or education journey and describe how you overcame it? Yeah, so um, this one's, it's a little um, raw um, because I, I really hate to revisit the moment, but the growth that I had from it was so powerful that I feel like if I, you know, if I don't give it the, it, it's due attention, then, um, you know, I've, there are others that are likely in the same situation. So I like to share it sometimes. Um, so I taught fifth grade math for um, two years and was only fifth grade math. Then I taught fifth grade math and science for two years. And then I went self-contained in fifth grade and taught all subject areas. And that was really a big deal here in my state, here in North Carolina, because in fifth grade, we have math, science, and reading that, are, um, that have high stakes standardized testing at the end of the year. And that's the first time that that happens for our students, where they have three of those end of grade tests. So. Um, Around here, whenever I tell people, you know, I taught fifth grade self-contained at that time, it was like, you know, what? Why in the world would you do that? So there's a story that goes along with it. 
there was an amazing teacher in third grade who was our North Carolina um, math teacher of the year. Uh, she was just outstanding. She was doing some phenomenal stuff. And through some transition, some movement with grade levels, she came to fifth grade to be a teacher. And of course, I felt threatened, right? I was a fifth grade math teacher and um, I, I was decent, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't doing a poor job, but I knew that, you know, this teacher, she's got it in the bag. She was absolutely amazing. She was truly being innovative in the way that she was teaching and, and her delivery of content was just outstanding. So when she joined our fifth grade team, my feeling threatened really impeded my ability to get to know that teacher and to really um, to form relationships that were really best for our students. It was really just my being selfish and insecure, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, so the thing that I learned from that and the way that I overcame it was that we sat down and as a group, we talked and we decided that we would just go self-contained and really form a strong PLC. So our professional learning community for our fifth grade level became, I have to say, one of the best that I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> we were outstanding. The, the ability for us to sit there and draw on one another's strengths and for me to step back and not be so insecure, I, I was a good math teacher. Um, but if I would just, if I had just sat down and really taken in what she was offering as one of her strengths and provided my strengths to the group faster, we got there. But you know, it took some time, some relationship building. It would have been even better for the kids. Now the three of us are all in um, leadership positions within the district somewhere, um, and we still, the three of us still talk quite a bit. Um, in fact, that very teacher is now my, my personal children's principal. Oh, fun. Yeah, she's outstanding. And I just wish, you know, I, I say that that's a low time in my, my career because I wish that I had known not to be so... Um, so insecure about my own teaching ability and to, I guess I just took ownership of fifth grade math. That was my thing. And I wish I'd been more open-minded. So I think that that would be, that was probably one of my lowest moments. It's one of my most embarrassing that I think back and went, man, that was really immature. <laughs> but I've learned a lot. Thank you for sharing that, Alicia, because I think most of us can resonate with that story or, or the part about feeling a little bit threatened because as, as good or as confident as we are, there's always going to be someone else that comes along that seems to have it figured out just a little bit better. And we can sort of experience a, a, a range of emotions there, right, from from feeling ex inspired and excited ourselves to maybe feeling like we're going to be shown up somehow or, you know, it, we, we just, uh, it sort of takes the shine off of our work or, or whatever it might be. Now, I do want to push you a little bit further on that amazing sounding PLC because speaking from my own practice, that's something that I, I work on with my eighth grade team a lot. And, uh, you know, we're looking for ways to, communicate better, collaborate better without draining energy and time from our week. 
do you have any hacks or practical suggestions? I mean, was it a biweekly meeting that really did it? Was it synchronizing your work in uh, Google Drive? Or, or how did you really find that connection that, that really brought you onto the same page? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. So um, really a lot of our um, secret sauce, so to speak, was in building our relationships with one another and finding that we had a lot in common outside of school. Um, and so that really allowed us to, I guess, personalize the others within our group. You know, we just build in those relationships. We we hear about it and talk about it so much that it almost seems... Um, it almost seems buzzwordish now, but it, it really was about building the relationships. And then once we built those relationships with one another, we were able to really start seeing one another's strengths. And during our weekly PLCs, we started, we divvied up what we were doing. And so one week, um, the that new teacher in fifth grade would do the math lessons. And with math, she would do the, um, she would create our math lesson. She would create the math stations that would go along with it and any flexible learning groups that we would have. And then another person would create the, the ELA lessons for the week. And with that, they would teach, they would uh, create our flexible learning groups. We, we call them flex groups here. Um, they would create our flex group plans. And then we would also have just a section of time for read aloud. So we would really pull in all of our balanced literacy components. And then the other of us, whichever one that might be for the week, would create our science and or social studies plan. And then we would share those and we relied on one another. We knew that the plans themselves would be so strong in content. You know, we had developed that trust through those relationships that we were able to, um, by Friday afternoon, before the next week started, by that Friday, we would know, okay, this is what we've got to work with next week. This keeps us all on the same pace. We're all in the same area. But at the same time, we were able to just use that as a really solid outline. And we still took those lessons that were created by the other teachers and, and molded them and tweaked them to fit the needs of the students we served in our classroom. And we would switch off. And so the next week, you know, I might do the math lessons, another would do the ELA, and another would do the science and or social studies. So, you know, we, we divided and conquered, I guess, but at the same time, you know, the whole time we're creating these, we're not creating them in isolation. We're still coming and saying, you know, oh, I have this really cool PBL for math, what do you think about this? And, you know, the others would say, yeah, that sounds great. Or, well, I like that, but I did something similar to that a couple of years ago and I experienced this. What can we do to fix? And it just, it was just a great working relationship. Um, I just, I really can't say enough about that group and, and the, the trust and the value that we placed on what one another had created. But then we also had the flexibility to change things and there were no hurt feelings, you know, oh, I don't want to use this one. I'm going to use something else that I've done before. Um, it just, it was fluid. It was so fluid. And then we also shared students throughout the time. So when we're talking about those flex groups, we would share our kids. And so if I had a group of, of really 
advanced level learners and they were ready to be enriched, that was, that was my strength. I was always very good in the classroom about growing our highest level learners um, and pushing them just a little bit further. And so I would get those students from all three of our classes. And then I would push them to the next level where another teacher might be really, really good at remediating. She was just fantastic at taking whatever that topic was, that concept the students didn't get and revamping it and rewording it in a way that all all the other kids just got it. And we would use those strengths as well and share students. So it was, it was really just magical. I wish I could replicate it everywhere because that's the PLC that our students deserve. Thank you for unpacking that vision, Alicia. And what a phenomenal team that you had the privilege of working on. You know, I think we all strive for that or or we aspire to that for those of us who do serve on grade teams. But I think there is such a thing, and I'll speak again from personal experience, you know, we can feel like, okay, we, we know what we're doing. We sort of understand that we feel like we're on the same page, but everyone's kind of just doing their own thing. And all members of the team are sort of making their own version of the same thing. And and you're losing out on the value and the expertise that you have right there in your own group. So that's a, a good challenge and, and one that I will, will share with my team going into the fall. So Alicia, shifting gears a little bit, you seem to lead the way when it comes to your pace of consuming and reviewing books from DBC. Talk about what motivates you and perhaps highlight some of your most recent reading. All right. So um, what motivates me is just my students. Everything I do is for my kids, whether that's my personal children. I just read Empower Our Girls by Adam Welcome and Limara Kalan. Um, and having two little girls, that book really made me stop and think about how I am exhibiting possibilities for my own daughters. And so whether it's my personal children or my, my work children, (laughs) um, they, they are what motivate me. And every time I read a DBC book, I'm always finding something new that I can apply to my educational philosophy. And so once I look at my educational philosophy, It's so important to know what you believe in and know why you believe it, because that does nothing but help your kids. Having a lackluster teacher who doesn't stand for anything, you know, that's that's just the epitome of boring, right? Like, I don't want to be anywhere near um, a working relationship with a teacher or have my personal students in a classroom where my personal kids in a classroom where they feel like their teacher doesn't want to be there. That is, that's just the worst feeling ever. And so knowing your own educational philosophy, why you are there really empowers your kids because they see the impact, the the passion that, that you have as an educator. Um, so I'm always wanting to be better for my kids and really model that love of lifelong learning, not just saying that I like it, that I enjoy learning, but to really make it evident. And my kids know, my, my students and my personal children know all about my quest to read the DBC books and, and how we bring that into our classroom. Um, in fact, some of my kids, they're so funny when I start introducing something and I'll tell them, you know we're going to try something. And I don't know that this is going to work, but 
I want to see. And they're like, oh, which book is this from? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) It's so much fun. Yeah. So the most recent thing that's, uh, that's come up, our students in media, because I am a librarian and we work on research skills in digital media and um, digital citizenship, we did an entire unit on research. And within that research, they were able to look into anything they were interested in. I did not give them any parameters. You know, as long as it's school appropriate, you can go research anything you want. But you're going to use those research skills to create citations and to paraphrase, et cetera, et cetera. So those topics and those things came from like Launch by John Spencer and A.J. Giuliani, The Limitless School by Adam DeVico and and, um, Abe Heggie, um, Educated by Design by the tech rabbi Michael Cohen. Oh, so good. Um, And then The Revolution by Darren um, and Derek McCoy. Those were those books in themselves all funneled into this idea of research projects and allowing them to, to choose their topic and not only choose their topic, but how they wanted to, to show their knowledge to their peers. It was, it was a really powerful learning experience. And, you know, there are things that I would certainly change for next year. Um, but I think the bones are really good with, with what we did. And, I'm really proud of what the kids created and what they learned and and they enjoyed the flexibility of being able to look at whatever it was they were interested in. So all that comes from the DVC books. Awesome. I know I'm slowly making my way through launch and AJ Giuliani is a big believer in getting, as you just said, getting students to, yes, follow their passions and their interests and explore those those nooks and crannies that they're naturally drawn to, but also try to direct that into movements, into products that actually change the world. And and that's very exciting stuff. You mentioned Educated by Design, and I just keep hearing praise for that book everywhere I turn. So hopefully that one will get knocked out this summer for me. Alicia, as you look across your PLN and your own practice, what is it that excites you about education today? I love being able to be connected to so many amazing educators through my professional learning network. You know, this idea of having a wonderful PLC is just, it becomes exponential when I'm on Twitter, Instagram, wherever it may be that I find these amazing educators and um, we're able to share ideas or I get a completely new idea from those that I follow and just being able to connect and and not only for me to learn new stuff, but also for my students to have those connections and to see, you know, we we truly are in 2019 globally connected. And um, so my kids actually had an opportunity to, to, my sixth graders did some things with Karen Caswell's students in Australia this year. And just learning the culture and opening their eyes to more than what's here in my small town, rural North Carolina, um, they were really blown away by how small the world really is. Um, And it was a cool experience for them. So bringing those connections to my students is really important as well. Alicia, how are you looking to grow professionally and improve your practice this year? And can you share about a specific professional goal or a project that you're currently working on? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. (laughs) Um, I would be so excited. 
So um, growing professionally, improving my practice, I'm constantly just reading and implementing what it is that inspires me because in um, Teach Like a Pirate, Dave Burgess, who is the the godfather of all the things pirate, um, he says inspiration without implementation is a waste. And that just echoes in my head constantly. So anytime that I'm reading or even if it's a trip to the local store, I am looking for something I can pull in that can inspire me in my classroom. Um, so a project that I'm working on right now, uh, my book, Educational Eye Exam, should be coming out in um, the next few months, actually. We are in the editing process, and I'm so excited to share this journey with, uh, with I guess, the world, which is whew, the world. <laughs> um, but the book is about this, um, this idea of going to the optometrist. And, you know, when you go to the eye doctor, we all have experiences of the eye doctor. And some of us are really anxious about the eye doctor. It makes us very nervous. And and some of us, you know, the eye doctor is nothing. Well, for me, it's a source of insane fear. I am terrified of the eye doctor. I just, I don't like anything being near my eyes. I don't like this idea of someone being right up in my face with that little pointy thing looking at my, my eyeball. It just... It weirds me out. Um, so I, as I went to the eye doctor um, last fall, I kept sitting there and I was seeing all these parallels because that's where my brain is working now. Um, I kept seeing these parallels between what I was doing in my eye doctor and my journey through education, through my educational philosophy and what I believe. And as I, as I was sitting there and I, I just kept you know, wow, this lady is really patient with me. You know, she said, which is better? One or two, right? Like we all know about that. That's, we, we, we know that story. Um, well, by the time she ran out of numbers and got into letters, you know, I'm thinking this sweet lady is so patient with me. She is really letting me internalize this process and is wanting this to be totally personalized for me. Am I this patient with my students? You know, and so as I'm going through this whole process, I think, wow, let me write this down. And it kind of started as this idea for a blog. And as I wrote, I had a whole book. (laughs) And so um, I really, I'm so excited to share about this idea of going to the optometrist and this educational eye exam and EYE becoming an educational I, the letter I exam and looking deep within yourself and thinking, what do I believe about education? So, um, yeah, that's what it's about. And I can't wait to share it in a couple months. And, um, it's going to be pretty cool. I think. Well, I I like that little pun there on the eye. I didn't see that one coming. And I also like the paradigm of the eye exam. And I'm thinking about your illustration, and I think uh, what a phenomenal example of formative assessment, right? That that patient, like you said, just that repeated assessment and evaluation, not for the purposes of ranking and sorting, but to give that learner exactly what it is they need to take their next step. Oh, absolutely. And so I think uh, I can see a lot there. Look forward to that one, Alicia. Keep us posted. I know you will. 
Alicia, outside of education, what's another area of learning for you? What is it that ignites your passions outside of the classroom and brings you alive as a human being? (sighs) This one is so hard for me just because everything is so interconnected. I mean, I go to an eye doctor and I see a book, right? Like that's, (laughs) everything is connected to education for me. So, but I've got to tell you, in our family, last August, we had a a real shock to our system. Um, my then five-year-old was diagnosed um, with type 1 diabetes. And so our entire family dynamic, our, our attention to our health has really changed here. Um, we we carb count everything. Um, we are constantly concerned about physical activity and, and just taking care of ourselves. And so for me, it's, it's this idea of wellness and um, mental wellness, spiritual wellness, physical wellness, wellness. And, and of course, how do I bring that into the classroom? You know, if I have a student that's not feeling well that day, they're not going to get what they need from me as an educator, if all I'm concentrated on is content delivery. I, I realize, and I've known this, but you know, when it happens to your own child, it changes things a bit. And so now when, when my eighth graders, seventh graders, sixth graders, but it tends to be my eighth graders for the most part, when they're walking in the classroom um, or walking into the school building in the mornings and I see them and they just don't look right that day, something just p- appears off. I grab them first thing in the morning, you know, hey, come talk to me for a minute. Let's go to the library. Come hang out. And we'll we'll come and, you know, they get 10 minutes to just whatever is going on in their lives, mentally, spiritually, physically. I, I try to I try to fix that. I try to talk to them and at least give them a safe sounding place to talk. And And I appreciate that as a parent, that my teachers that work with my children are doing that, that. My my five year olds, she's now six. Her kindergarten teacher has been phenomenal. Um, her entire school, really. I don't know what I would do without them. So that area of learning for me is just this awareness of what's going on with my students outside of school, um, and how can I how can I work with them? Because if I've not met those needs, I can't I can't do anything past that. They're just there physically. So that's really been. It's been powerful for me this year, stepping back and thinking about how I can meet those needs outside of just content delivery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, sometimes our area of focus and learning maybe isn't driven by a passion, it's driven by a need, and, and that makes uh, a lot of sense. Share about a personal habit or a productivity hack that contributes to your success, Alicia. And I have to, I I mean, I would love to hear how do you get all of this reading done? But (laughs) wherever you want to take this question, you you go for it. What's your uh, what's your go to routine or or app or system or or hack? Yeah. What is it that works for you? Yeah. So I am a goal setter. I always have been. Um. And, and really that's, that is my hack, I guess, if I had to have a hack, um, for, for reading, I just have this goal set that, you know, once a book comes out, I immediately order it. I want to support the authors and so many have been amazing and said, well, well, let me send one to you. I'm like, sure, send one to me, but I'm also going to buy one to support you. Um, and I'll put that in my school library and then my personalized copy stays on my shelf. (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, so I set these goals for myself to, you know, I order it. And then I think in the next 48 to 72 hours, I'd really like to have this book read. Wow. Um, and then I want to consider something that I'd like to, to in, implement from this book um, and then write about it. So those little mini goals that are actionable within a short time period have really become a, a habit for me, both educationally speaking and then just in life. You know, I'll, I've gotten into running lately. And when I say running, what I really mean is walking. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll take these little, <laughs> these little stints where I'll say, you know, I think I can run from this mailbox to this mailbox. Again, I live in rural North Carolina. I can run between mailboxes. And so um, that it becomes this short, measurable goal that I can achieve. And it really is this idea of SMART goals. And what we do as a, a school, as a, a staff, you know, I want measurable, achievable, realistic, timely goals. Um, so that's really become a habit in my life. And I try to instill that in my students and in my personal children as well. So a couple of things, Alicia, where do your goals go down? Are you a Google task or a Google keep person or, or how do you track these? Oh, I love both of those. Oh, um, my real, my real, um, I guess, love within Google would be Google Sheets. I took a class, a go slow class with Alice Keeler last year. And I mean, I thought I was pretty good at spreadsheets, but I didn't Alice Keeler spreadsheets. Right. <laughs> she she br brings on this art form to anything she does. And uh, uh, her, her, her go slow workshop just really amped up what I could do with Google Sheets. And so now I'm using Google Sheets for everything, including tracking all of my habits and my goals. Um, and also, I am obsessed right now with bullet journaling. Did not know this was a thing until I read Lisa Johnson's uh, Creatively Productive. And now I love bullet journals. Just this idea of being able to take a, a paper analog journal and physically write in it my goals and what I'm looking to do. There's something special about handwriting and seeing those goals actually materialize in front of you in word form. The one other question I had, Alicia, if you don't mind, tell us your ideal reading environment. So where do you inhale these books? Are you are you listening to them in audiobook? Is it a bedtime routine? When What's your sweet spot? That's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, that's a thing. That is a real thing. I usually start reading around 9, 9.30 at night. Almost every night, I okay. just put my kids in bed, and we have a sectional in our living room that it's just a good oversized, comfy sectional. Sure. And I sit dead square in the middle, in the bend of it. And I'm usually sitting there with my pajamas, with my hair up in a scrunchie, and um, I've got probably three or four blankets on me and a whole nest of pillows. <laughs> and I just devour my books at that point. Um, and as soon as I finish reading, that's typically when I will when I will blog. Some people will stop and they'll internalize it and really think deeply and then blog. I have found that I have to get it out immediately. Otherwise, I lose that sense of passion that I felt when I immediately finished the book. 
The only exception to that rule was culturized by Jimmy Casas. And I had to give it a few days. I could not because that book wrecked me um, in, a, in a great way. But it really made me stop and think, you know, dang, if I'm complaining about the culture of my, my work environment or my life in general, what am I doing to fix it? You know, it, it made me really stop. And it was kind of a slap on the wrist, you know, and mm-hmm. man, I appreciated that so much. I needed that when I read that book. Are you a, I, I feel like you're a physical book person. You're not a, an e-reader, correct? Nope. Nope. Yes. I have to have physical books and I highlight and write in the margins. And in fact, I'll take my books to school sometimes and model for my students. You know, this is my reading. And mm. if I'm reading, I have a pen and a highlighter within reaching distance. So um, I actually think that's changed some of their reading habits as they see, you know, whoa, she really, she practices what she preaches. She says for us to more reading nonfiction texts to be making connections and I'm doing it. My poor books are so highlighted up. It's, <laughs> it's awful. Um no one else will ever be able to borrow my books, not because I'm selfish, but because um, they won't be able to read some of the words from the authors because I've written all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for unpacking that, Alicia. I'm a reader. I mean, I, I'm sort of humbled to even call myself a reader in your company, but I, oh, I do gosh. enjoy reading and I always love geeking out and sort of hearing from other readers what works for them. I know in your situation, the one that you described on your couch surrounded by pillows starting at 930, man, I would be done. I'd make it for about one page, but it, it's fun to hear that works for you. All right. <laughs> Right, Alicia. <laughs> All right, it is time for your quick picks. So here we want to know the education voices and resources that are shaping your practice and inspiring your thinking today. Starting at Twitter, tell us about someone we should follow there and share why they've been inspiring you lately. Oh, wow. There is a second grade teacher in Ohio. Her name is Melissa Hayes, and she is something special. Her handle is Hayes underscore Melissa with one S and one L. Um, She is tremendous about building this family dynamic within her classroom with her second graders and sharing out their voices and what they're doing. And just, she is so inspirational. She's also a breast cancer survivor. Um, She has a daughter with Down syndrome and she shares her story And, you know, she is the epitome of blending this personal life and professional life all into one beautiful package. And she's just so full of just this genuine positivity. And I have gravitated to her from day one. Um, We connected this year and I just... I can't say enough good things about her. I would almost pick up and move to Ohio so my students could be in, my children could be in her classroom. I mean, she's just that amazing. And you just have to follow her and you will feel the same vibes coming from her that I do. I feel sure. That's a strong sell and I look forward to following her. So thank you for that. Point us to an ed tech tool that you currently love using somewhere in your professional practice, Alicia. Google Forms. Always Google Forms because I did take that class with Alice Keeler on spreadsheets. I take anything that they, my students, my teachers, anybody does in Google Forms. And I then turn around and immediately put those responses in spreadsheets. 
I can sort, I can filter, I can really digest the information. But then it's not just cold data. It gives me that warm feel too, because I know where it's coming from and I can put a face with it. Um, I do surveys at the end of every school year asking my students the good, bad, and ugly about middle school and what we can do as, as a school to change the culture for them. And, and um, I get to know my kids so well through that. And it's a survey in Google Forms. I just, I'll tell you what, I can dig some Google Forms. Definitely check that out. Recommend one book one that you've been reading lately or one of your all-time faves and tell us why you recommend it. You, you've already dropped a couple of great titles. Is there one that you've been reading lately that you'd like to share? I always go back to Teach Like a Pirate. Always. That, that book shook me in, I guess, 2013, 2014 when I read it the first time. And it's one that I go back to over and over again. I've been through a few copies of that book at this point. I've read or uh, listened to the Audible probably six or seven times. Um, it's just so full of passion. And it's, it is the godfather of all DBC. Everything is stemming from, from Dave Burgess and his wife, Shelly, who is equally phenomenal. Um, Teach Like a Pirate is just, it's the one. It's just the one. I love that book as well. And, you know, I came up with a name for this podcast, Teachers on Fire, before reading TLAP. And then when I came across that phrase a few times in this book, I thought, oh, it's meant to be confirmation. So thanks, Dave. Yes. Tell, <laughs> tell us about a YouTube channel that you're enjoying, Alicia, and, uh, and explain why. I love the, everything goes back to DBC with me, it seems, but I love the DBC Inc. Media YouTube channel. Um, they are giving sneak peeks of new books as they're coming out, so you're allowed to um, kind of get a feel for what's getting ready to, to drop from them. Um, There's so many phenomenal books they're putting out that it's easy to understand that we can't all purchase every book every time it comes out. So it's a great way for you to see, is this book something I need at this moment or can I hold off just a little bit and, and it, it hit me at, a, at the right time later on. Um, so I really, really like their, their media channel. Yeah, I'm I'm popping in right now, and I just subscribed. I'm seeing Tara Martin and Allison Apsey and other authors uh, represented here. So I, th I think uh, the secret's out. Let me make sure you subscribe to the DBC Inc. channel. And then just for fun, Alicia, what are you watching on Netflix right now? <laughs> I love The Office. <laughs> I love everything about that show. So good. It is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see an educational version of The Office. Yes. Can you imagine? I mean, picture that for a minute. Would that not be phenomenal? Oh. We've got Parks and Rec, you know? Why can't we have The Classroom? <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> well, it, it would be awesome. Although if the principal was Michael, I would I would fear for the, the student. But <laughs> <laughs> Right? Uh, I would totally get him one of those uh, mugs, world's best yeah. boss. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And Pam would make a great receptionist. She'd be running that school like a tight yes. ship. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, everybody needs a stapler and jello, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Love it. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Alicia, this has been a great conversation. What are the best ways for the listeners to follow you and get in touch with what you're putting out there? Yeah, for sure. So definitely follow me on Twitter. That's where I kind of live, at I-L-U-V, educating. Um, You could also check out my hashtags. Um, Of course, there's hashtag DBC book blogs. And the hashtag for the book will be um, hashtag edu, E-D-U, I-E-Y-E exam. Um, You could check out my blog at aliciaray.com. I'm also on Instagram, also at I Love Educating. And um, I look forward to hearing uh, your thoughts on my book, Educational Eye Exam, Creating Your Vision for Education in the next few months. Sounds good, Alicia. Can't wait for the book. And again, thank you so much for sharing your time with the podcast today. You've inspired me for some time, and I'm even more inspired to dig into some good reading this summer. So thank you again. Take care, and let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a true joy. Teachers on Fire has been one that I've wanted to be on for a while. So I I really appreciate uh, you bringing me on today. Thanks so much for joining me today here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. For show notes and links from this episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Medium. And again, please do subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Just before we sign off today, I'd like to make a first stop at Voxer. I recently heard from Andy Milne, guest on episode 85 of the Teachers on Fire podcast, and he left this message. Good morning, Tim. It's my last full week at school. I'm just walking in from Lake Michigan. I intentionally parked further away because I had to continue driving so I could listen to the rest of the Peniel Rip uh, episode. What a great episode. I mean, she's an awesome guest, and I've read her. I've never heard her speak. Um, So I thought she was uh, a great guest. Love the book recommendations. As I'm driving along, I tagged two of the books. um, I think the Kwame Alexander and uh, mm, something like What What We Rise or Watch Us Rise. Uh, I tagged those up. My uh, goddaughter's African-American, and I'd love to buy her um, books that I wouldn't typically even be aware of. So she's got some books coming her way. Um, loved the, the hearing her passion. Um, I was choking up as I heard the story about her daughter. I didn't know that story. So I had tears in my eyes driving into school. So really cool. And I know you talked about hoping or trying to keep the podcast down to like 30 minutes, but I wonder if because she's, she's such a writer, she couldn't help but pad out her answers, but it wasn't fluff. It was really, really good. And for my 70 minute commute, it was just about perfect. So thank you. I've already pushed it out on social media and I'll, um, I'll tweet it out a couple more times. Bye man. Have a great week. Thanks so much for your support of the show, Andy. Making connections with great educators like you is one of the reasons I like to produce this podcast. And if you have not caught Perneal Rip's conversation Make sure you check that one out as well. She shares a powerful story, as Andy mentioned, and it's well worth the listen. Hey, if you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback in response to anything you hear on the Teachers on Fire podcast, please consider leaving me a voice message as well. Just find Teachers on Fire on the Anchor app in your mobile device, or as Andy did, reach out to me at Tim Cavey on Voxer. 
Next, I'd like to thank all those who encourage and support the podcast on Twitter. Chris Woods at Daily Stem recently tweeted, Educators looking for a reason to take risks in your school or classroom? At NanKR1120, that's Kristen Nan, is making her classroom a place for kids to thrive. Hear her story on this Teachers on Fire podcast. And of course, Chris was referring to the last episode there in 87, where Kristen Nan talks about true grit. And we'll come back to her in a second. Next on Twitter, we've got at Greg underscore Moffat. Greg was guest on episode 63 of the podcast, and he writes, Challenge, this week, listen to an episode of the Teachers on Fire podcast. It will fuel your fire and inspire, rejuvenate, and encourage you. At Mr. KV is on fire. Hashtag celebrated. Quick backstory on this tweet. I made a last-minute decision to take part in the celebrated Twitter chat this week, and was I ever glad I did. Greg surprised me with this tweet, special graphic and all, and it kind of blew me away. So Greg, if you're listening, thank you again for your tremendous ongoing support. It means so, so much. And then third, last but not least, at Barbara Gruner, also on Twitter, tweets to Kristen Nan, featured in episode 87. Quote, it was super fun to hear your voice. So confident, so empowered, so vulnerable, and so strong. All at once. Loved how you explained your connection to True Grit. I go all the way back to watching a movie by that same name with my dad as a young teen. Way to pave the path, Kristen. Barbara is the author of What's Under Your Cape and the host of the Corner on Character podcast. So make sure to follow her and give her a listen as well. Thank you so much for the encouragement, Chris, Greg, and Barbara. You three were the fuel to my fire this week, so thank you. Listeners, I will also invite you to check out the new Teachers on Fire magazine on Medium. The Teachers on Fire magazine is a Medium publication, and you'll find it on medium.com or on the Medium app. If you're already an education blogger, consider joining our growing writing team there. You can continue to publish content on your own blog, and you keep full credit and ownership of your content when it appears on Medium. Message Teachers on Fire on any social media platform for more details. Again, I'm your host, Tim Cavey, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day listening to this podcast. I hope that in some way the content you heard here ignited your thinking and inspired your practice. And I'll meet you next week right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast.